As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you get familiarized with recirculating aquaculture systems, or RAS for short? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. Welcome to this episode, Season 4 of the Business of Aquaculture. This episode, I'm delighted to interview John Holder. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. John Holder created JLH Consulting to assist land-based fish farmers with setting up, maintaining, and upgrading their recirculating aquaculture systems. He understands that many fish farmers' entire businesses rely on a raft that is profitable, reliable, and maintainable. That's why his business is more than just about designing and building RAS for people. With a proven track record and years of experience, JLH Consulting is a name you can trust. As a leader in the RAS industry, they understand that any setback in setting up your land-based fish farm is going to cost you time, money, and possibly a business. Welcome again to the show, John. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'm glad that you are able to take time to be on the show today for our audience benefit. I didn't realize that John and I are actually neighbors. We actually belong to the same <laughs> city here in the Talk about being a small world and a small industry. <laughs> yes, it is. It is very small. So I would like to ask you, what is the vision for JLH? Well, our vision has always been basically the same. We're trying to promote the most efficient, low-cost RAS system out there. And we have a few patents, and we have clients on six continents. We've done over 120 projects and since 1999, but we're the little guy. <laughs> we don't compete with Bill and Acfa and all those other people. We're more of a smaller RAS system designer. 5,000 tons is about the biggest, but we also do not do Atlantic salmon up to date. We also do the other species. So that's our goal. Bring RAS economically to everybody. I believe that I love numbers. I'm not sure if you listen to some of my episodes, but one of the things that I love when my guests talk about numbers. So maybe you can expand <laughs> more when you talk about six continents, 199 projects, and a 5,000 what? 5,000 metric tons is about the biggest we've done. It's fair size, mind you, compared to what it was five years ago, but it's not Atlantic salmon. We do Atlantic salmon hatcheries. But to date, we haven't done Atlantic salmon grow because Atlantic salmon is a commodity. It's it's worldwide. We rather do here in BC. We rather do indigenous species like a steelhead, 
coho salmon, Chinook salmon, and then across Canada, other indigenous species like Inkanu. It's a new species just coming on. It's Arctic whitefish, Arctic char, another one. We've even done shellfish, gooey ducks and oysters, hatcheries. So we've been around. Now, in six continents, the only one we haven't done is Antarctica. (laughs) And I I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. Perhaps my son, he might get down there one day, maybe, but I doubt that too. We're both getting on in age. And I've been to China 39 times. I've been to Australia 17 times, New Zealand five or six times. South America, I don't know how many. United States, I've been to all 50 states. Europe, Africa. So, so far, it's been a a real good ride. (laughs) That's amazing. That's just amazing. And when you were talking about 5,000 metric tons and all these projects, which one is your favorite country and favorite project so far? Oh, boy, oh, boy. It's hard to... I have to say probably South Africa and in Nibia. Those are the two that we've done projects in. The people are so kind and and they really want to work. They want to bring economic activity to the communities, but they've always been sort of overlooked and the politics has got it in the way. But to me, people are so fantastic. So I have to say Southern Africa is one of my favorite spots, followed, I think, by China. But right now, of course, our relationships aren't that great with China, then Australia. Those are the three. Are you at liberty to share with us the project that you did in Southern Africa in terms of rafts? It's a little community in Namibia called Riobuth. <laughs> it's quite an uh, interesting community. I went down there and the elders, the church elders said, look, our kids are leaving us. There's no work here for us. The ones that do stay, they get into drugs, they get lazy, blah, blah, blah. We need something that's going to bring our community back together. And when I went there, and that's quite a few years ago, they put on this beautiful feast. And you could see that they really went beyond what they were capable of doing. So I said, okay, we can do this for you. How's the labor situation here? And they says, well, we can get a, a person with a master's degree for $12. And I said, $12 an hour is pretty cheap. Oh, no, no, no. That's per day. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding. We can do better than that. We can bring prosperity to your community. And it worked. So it's great. Wow. Talk about leveraging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, Yeah. Like they're doing tilapia. Now, the nice, nice thing about Namibia and South Africa, they can do the tilapia because of the weather, but also they can grow it in their local currency and sell it up into Europe for euros. So great. The return on investment is huge. So it, it's really worked out well. That sounds amazing. So what do you see as a future trend in the sustainable aquaculture business, probably specifically in RAS? I think the future is that right now, because of COVID, supply issues, it's getting pretty expensive to build these facilities. So the future is still bright, but you have to be very selective to what you're going to to raise and sell. You have to sell it for a profit. And unfortunately, here in this country, tilapia is not the number one because, it, again, it's a commodity. Most of our tilapia comes from south of us, Central America, South America, China. So you have to look at other species. And I think that the other species, if you want to do a warm water tropical fish, is barramundi. Barramundi takes the same amount of work, the same amount of environment conditions as tilapia. 
So why not do it? And it sells for three times more on the marketplace. So that's one thing you have to look at. But the future is still bright. And the energy costs have come down tremendously because as the systems evolve, there's more and more suppliers say, we want to get on this bandwagon, for lack of a better word. We can start producing equipment that's high efficiency, low power. So that changes a lot. Because here in North America, we're pretty blessed with relatively inexpensive power. Here in BC, it's mostly hydro. We complain, you know, it's like 10 cents a kilowatt, but geez, in, in some parts of the world, it's 25, 30 cents a kilowatt. So we shouldn't complain. But that 25 to 30 cents a kilowatt really hits their bottom line in developing countries. So GLH, over the years, we've developed systems that range anywhere from 2.3 to 3.5 kilowatts per kilogram produced, depending on the species and the size of the farm. That's not bad compared to other systems that could be five, six, seven kilowatts per kilogram produced. So I think that the future is very bright, but we have to be cautious. We can't overspend. We have to watch our dollars, of course, but it's here to stay. And another thing is everybody's heard of the 100-mile diet. That's the nice thing about RAS. We're putting RAS, no, smaller RAS units in downtown cities or right downtown. Unfortunately, due to COVID, there's lots of warehouses now becoming available. We can put RAS systems in there right at the market. Because one thing that people don't realize, energy or your carbon footprint, freight is huge. So if you can build something in somebody's backyard, because RAS systems, they don't stink and all this other stuff. Everybody thinks that they're terrible smells, but no, they don't. If it's properly put together and the waste is, there's no such thing as waste anymore, neither. The feces, the excess feed, that can all be captured and turned into a profitable compost, which we're doing here in BC as well. So there's no such thing as waste anymore. And the amount of water we use has been greatly reduced. Uh, in the old days, it used to be 20% of volume per day. Now we're down to 5% or less because of the technology. So it can go anywhere. Those are really great insights, but I wanted to be a devil's advocate. And sure. so with the recirculating aquaculture system, it's mostly land-based. And as you know, sometimes disease, and if there's something that happens in the land base, then it's harder to move. What's your take on seasteading? Because we have actually a connection wherein they're already moving everything on the sea. So one of our connections actually in China is this big boat wherein their hatchery is on the boat and so what's your take on that the disease is a major problem now the nice i agree if you get disease in your ras system it's terrible uh basically you have to euthanize everything and start over and hopefully you get rid of the virus or the bacteria that started in there but one thing with ras you have to be proactive not reactive so with our ras facilities number one thing we ask the client or the customer what species do you want to do Number two, where are you going to get your stock? Are they disease-free? If they say, I don't know if they're disease-free, I said, well, if they aren't disease-free, forget about that. Find another supplier. Also, because we use so little water, you can treat that incoming water. We prefer to use boreholes, but we can use surface water depending on whatever, but we have to filter it, UV it, nosinate it. So we destroy any pathogens coming into the system. And inside the system, we also use a little bit of ozone for clarity mainly, but we can also use that for some bioload 
dispersion, like suppression, so we can get the bacteria loads down. But the fish still need, or the organism still needs some bacteria for its immune system. But we don't want pathogenic bacteria. Now, far as the ocean, you're open to the elements everywhere. Now, there's lots of bacteria and viruses that aren't pathogenic. And as long as, and then the pathogenic ones, fish are pretty resilient. They do have a fairly good immune system if they're not stressed. So that's the whole idea too. Ocean net pen boats and rats, you don't want to stress the fish because that's going to cause a lot of problems. Even the rats, there's other things that aren't pathogenic that can cause problems if you stress the fish. Now, the nice thing about rats is that we can give them the perfect environment. I wouldn't say like dial it up, but now we're pretty close to the point where we have the perfect pH, the perfect oxygen, the perfect CO2, the perfect current. So the fish are happy. A happy fish grows well. I like that. Happy fish grows well. But one of the things that you mentioned that I think is applicable in any industry is being proactive versus reactive. That has always been a good business advice when you can literally even have foresight so that you can mitigate whatever risks or if you even have businesses have contingency plans for risk management, I guess. Yes. Well, that's the only thing we we have, oh, I guess about a hundred page long manual and for n- numerous different species that we supply with our designs. And inside there, there's a very good set of SOPs, standards of practice. There's how to operate and maintenance, keep everything clean, uh, you know, and also, our other motto is fish are easy, people are hard. If something's going to go sideways, it's usually caused by the human factor. So that's why we have very stringent controls, set of maintenance that has to be done. And, you know, I don't trust, I do trust people to a certain extent, but you have to tick off the boxes. I did this. And just like you go to uh, the public washrooms and walls. You know, if they're checkmarked. So we have to, we sort of demand that too in our systems. But as soon as we sell it and train them, it's beyond us. But we really stress you have to keep everything clean, everything maintained, and happy fish. Yes. And again, it brings me back to having a preventative measure rather than, how do you say it here in North America? Better be safe than sorry kind of thing. <laughs> yes. And then another thing we do, we have backups because everything's mechanical and we all know pumps break down. We have power failures, but we mitigate that by having backup pumps, backup generators, and also 24-hour sensing. So we know exactly our monitors tell us what the oxygen levels are. And another thing we have to do, when I was in the business, I was down in Fannie Bay for many years at a small facility. Every morning before the crew got in, I went to every tank and looked at it. Because you get this sixth sense, you fish sense. You know something's not quite right days in advance. Now, it's a learned technique, but some people just have it naturally. So then you say, okay, Go look at tank two or whatever. There's something going on there. We have to catch it before anything happens. So that's another thing you have to do. You have to keep looking at your fish, your shellfish or your fin fish, whatever you're growing. As soon as you stop looking, <laughs> then you're not being proactive. You've got to keep looking. And that brings me back to another point. One of the stumbling blocks right now is getting trained technicians. 
You know, this huge thing about RAS. Let's build RAS here. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 tons. Whoa, slow down. <laughs> because you need people to run it still. So training people has to catch up to the industry before it's really going to flourish as well. Right. And we're still, again, just like any industry, I call it the four M's, money, management, manpower, and the business model has to work. You mentioned and alluded to that already about you have to have the profit to be able to make it sustainable for whoever is running the business. But I got really interested in what you said. Did you say that you did RAS for GoEdex? Way back, yeah, yeah. Oh, you should, you have to tell me about that sometime because <laughs> yeah. I've been fascinated about how our species, and I'm biased, of course, because this is the species that we produce, but always been fascinated how that would be done land-based because we do our subtitle, of course, so we don't have to feed them. So feed is not a problem when it's subtitle. They just kind of do their own thing. We just leave it. It's only time. It's our major investment. It's time because it takes 10 years to grow us, you know. So yep. I, would you like to share that now so that our audience can be enlightened <laughs> a bit about that? But of Well, course, it, it take me too long. I'll, I'll, I'll come down. We'll meet somewhere for coffee and I'll bring, I'll bring my designs with me. It was pretty interesting. Uh, it was a pilot project. That's all I can say right now. But it was really interesting. Sounds good. Well, I'm so happy that we're neighbors because yes to coffee <laughs> or lunch. <laughs> okay. And my last question to you, it's what's one thing you can advise a leader in this industry, you being a leader yourself? Yeah, well, I'm in my 50th year. It's been crazy. I started back in 1973. So you also mentioned money. So one of the things I like to say about this, when people do their business plans, and I've seen this so many times. How much does it cost to build it? Okay, the same million dollars. Okay, I have a million dollars. And I said, don't forget, depending on the species that you're raising, you have to look after them for anywhere nine months to two years. Plan for that as well. So that instead of that one million, you better have one and a half or whatever. And I've seen businesses not necessarily fail, but struggle because the initial investor didn't plan properly. So the biggest thing I would say to people, I've already alluded to, select the right species. Now, not just because you can grow it, but you can have to sell it at a profit. A lot of people say, well, I can grow this, but how much do you get for it? Well, does that cover your cost of production plus 25% or whatever, right? That's number one. And number two is, like I said, the money. So select your species, hire a manager. If you're not going to do it yourself from day one, before you even start construction, because that person, he or she should be there to see how everything goes together. That's a huge bonus when you start running the operation and still be optimistic. <laughs> you're a farmer and you got to take the good with the bad. I would say that the chances of survival or be success is a lot higher now than it was even two years ago, three years ago. It's profitable, but realistic as well. And just keep going, hire the right people, and do the proper business plan. Excel fish make lots of money, right? So when you have that business plan, vet it by a professional and see if it does really going to work. And find your site. You just don't need water. You need power. You need people. You need access, road access or boat access. Not so much boat access, but you you have to find the right site to start with. I've had people start, well, I have lots of water. 
Well, how much water do you got? Well, I have a well that produces 25 gallons a minute. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> but now for a house, that's a lot of water. So these yeah. people, they have to realize that. Yeah. But the future's here. It looks good. Well, thank you so much for your insights today, John. My biggest takeaway from this episode, and when you're talking just right now and a while ago about foresight, again, I think it's good to be able, if the program is about the business of aquaculture and some ocean farmers sometimes get so passionate about what they do, but forget sometimes that this is not a hobby, that it is a business. So it makes a lot of sense when you were talking about all this. And with that, we need to be able to plan ahead at the most, I guess, the best guesstimate, we call it, so that when contingency happens and risk happens, that you'll be able to face it with better risks management and people, as you mentioned, is an important part. And of course, the managers who's helping you in the leadership team and what have you. How can they get in touch with you? Okay, well, JLH Consulting at Shaw.ca or 250-897-1334. And our office is at 1460 Ryan Road East, out by the base. So we're always around. It's a family business. John Jr., my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my wife, we're all part of it. And we're here to help. Thank you very much again for your time, John. To our subscribers, do leave a review of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, John. Okay, take care. It was a pleasure. Bye now. Coffee sometime. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.